welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Have a great Thanksgiving. Hopefully you get a chance to spend it with your family and loved ones. So uh, always enjoy this time of year. And, and thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, we've had over 3 million downloads. And uh, it's been a phenomenal ride so far. So thanks to everybody. Mark Pro is offering a Black Friday deal this week. With the promo code ABCA, you'll get 20% off a of Mark Pro. So if you're thinking about getting one, now's the time. Head over to markpro.com, that's M-A-R-C-P-R-O.com, and get your 20% off. Thanks. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844 620 2707 or info at com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. This year's Dave Kylitz Ethics and Coaching Award winner is Wake Forest head coach Tom Walter. Coach Walter is entering his 13th season at Wake. Coach Walter is one of the best we have in the game on developing players. In the last nine seasons, Wake Forest has had 34 players improve their draft stock from high school. 27 of those players were not drafted out of high school. Coach Walter's path has taken him all over the baseball industry. He spent time at George Washington, the University of New Orleans, Wake Forest, the Cape League, and was assistant GM of the Greensboro Bats. He and Kevin Jordan were the 2021 recipients of the Stuart Scott Inspire Award. You can dive more into their nonprofit, Get in the Game, at getinthegame.org. It's a great episode on servant leadership and finding ways to give back. We also dive into player development, coaching at high academic institutions, similarities in dealing with Katrina and COVID, and other life lessons learned on his journey. Let's welcome Tom Walter to the podcast. Here with Tom Walter, 13th season as head coach at Wake Forest, uh, Georgetown grad, MBA from George Washington, Cape League coach, um, head coach at GW, UNO, and now uh, Dave Kylitz, Ethics Award winner this year. So, Walt, thanks for coming on with me. No, Ryan, appreciate you having me. And and when I hear my resume, it actually sounds like maybe I can coach a little bit. <laughs> You've got a great background. I mean, just diving in. That's the fun thing for me is obviously you and I go way back, um, you know, back to the, the late 90s, early 2000s. But it's fun for me to kind of refresh where everybody's come from. And I do want to jump straight to Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Talk about Johnstown, PA and what it's meant to you. Man, I'll tell you, what a great place to grow up. I mean, you're talking about the home of the AAA-ABA tournament. It's a great tournament. You know, 
when you're growing up and you're going to those games and you're watching guys play in front of 10,000 people, you know, that's what you want to do. That really sparks your passion for baseball and, and, and kind of lights the fire in your belly that, man, I want to do that. So when you're, you know, you're growing up, you're like, like, how, what do I have to do to get to the triple ABA and then playing for Didi Osborne? I know, you know, Didi and, and Pepsi Cola, um, just some of the, some of the best years of my life. And, you know, Johnstown's just one of those blue collar, hardworking towns filled with good people, with good hearts. You know, those people in Johnstown would literally give you the shirt off their back if you ask them. So I, I, I don't regret one second of my childhood. And you're still running camps there, right? That was a couple of years ago. I saw you again and um, asked you if you're still running camps up there. Yeah, every year. Go back every year and run a showcase camp with Dee Osborne and now Ricky Roberts, who runs the uh, uh, Flood City Elite program up there. And uh, it's just kind of a way to give back. And, and um, you know, one of those things where don't take any money from it, don't make any money from it, just something just something I want to do to give back. Yeah, I mean, I, just talk about that. I, I think that's a, a, a fulfilled life is giving back to where you, you grew up and not forgetting where you came from. And just talk about just kind of the emphasis that, on that of giving back to where you came from. I couldn't agree more. We talk to our guys all the time, Brownie, about living a life of service over self, you know, being selfless and, and, and that starts first and foremost with that attitude of gratitude, you know, just being grateful. You know, there's so many people that, you know, I wouldn't be here without D.D. Osborne or, or my high school coach, Paul Thompson, or my little league coach, Doug Goff, Jeff Goff. You know, th those are the people that that sparked this fire. My grandfather, you know, George Walter and my dad, Ralph Walter. I mean, those guys, you know, they they without them, I'm not a college baseball coach. And, and I just couldn't imagine myself doing anything else, quite honestly. So. You know, I think we all have a responsibility to pay that forward and give back. Do you feel like today's assistants miss a little bit of that camp circuit? We don't have it as much anymore. I know everybody runs their own camps, but do you feel like maybe some assistance? I remember being at JMU. That's how I got to interact with you and, and guys that, you know, Terry Rooney was on the East Coast, Joe Rakuya. It just seemed like there was a lot of really good coaches that you got to interact with, whether it was Old Dominion's camp or the best of Virginia. Do you feel like assistants now maybe miss a little bit of that? I couldn't agree more, man. I remember that best in Virginia camp well, and I know you remember it well. And and just sitting in those dorm rooms with the guys after camp talking baseball, and you're talking baseball at breakfast and lunch and picking each other's brains. I think we all this day and age with technology the way it is, we get into our own little tunnels now, and and we don't branch out as much as, as we, we could and should. So I 100% agree with that. You know, one of the things that's interesting, you bring it up because – I would love to talk to the ABCA about partnering with RBI baseball and having like all our coaches volunteer some time. Like let's get into the inner cities and have each college coach, you know, give maybe eight, 10 hours a year of time to, to an RBI program that's close to them. And, and let's get these kids at a young age, the best coaching they can get. I mean, no offense to the little league dads, um, but we got to get these kids in front of college coaches learning the game the right way as soon as possible. And, and we were heading kind of in that direction with the diversity committee because we have two pieces of the diversity committee. We have the professional development piece, but then we have the the youth development piece and then COVID hits. So it kind of put a little bit on the back burner, but obviously things are going back forward now with everything where it's a good time to kind of readdress that and, and where we can lend a hand to try to help throughout the United States in any way that we can. Well, again, I think through the RBI program and maybe even the Players Alliance, Major League Baseball, you know, I think there's a lot of kind of tie-ins there um, to make it easy on folks. Um, and, and again, something that I would, you know, over the years, you know, we'd look up five, seven years from now, 
and would would have I think would have made a huge impact. Hey, your time with the Greensboro Bats. Do you feel like that helped you figure out how to run an organization? I mean, you are the CEO. I know everybody thinks college baseball, but at your level, you are the CEO of your program. Do you feel like that helped you get that experience? I think without question. I mean, you start to talk about the things you learned, you know, dealing with media and marketing and sales. Um, you know, that sales experience is, I wouldn't trade that for anything. You know, you, I tell all of our guys that are going out into the real world, real world, it's like, whatever you're going to do, it's like sell, you know, go out and sell for a couple of years. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about dealing with people and communicating, you know, dealing with the New York Yankees on the, on the player development contract and, and setting up travel and, and all the little things. And, and then the other thing that's great about minor league baseball is sometimes you got to go pull tarp and sometimes the snow cone lady doesn't show up and you got to sell, you got to sell snow cones. I mean, it's just one of those things that just kind of ingrains that mentality of, you know, do whatever it takes. And I think that's another thing. A lot of these young coaches, you know, miss out on I think especially the ones that come out of the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 you know the Pac-10 some of those leagues where those programs you know have everything and they have a huge support staff and they're they've got field crew they don't have to really invest themselves in in doing the little things you know I think you know you and I started coaching man we were washing uniforms and I was tutoring volleyball players and you know I was doing you know working construction and waiting tables doing whatever it took to to make it work and I, and I think sometimes we miss out a little bit on that on that attitude yeah I just had Ron Maestri on and um he's our lefty Gomez but talk about Ron a little bit this actually your episode will come out directly after his but just talk about Ron a little bit and what he's meant um to you what an incredible mentor he's been. I stay in touch with him to this day. I mean, we'll talk a couple times a year. I'll check in with Mace. I know he's beyond pumped right now that his guy Snitaker's in the World Series, and and I guarantee Mace will be front row um, for all those games. And and he and he deserves it. I mean, I, you know, he built that UNO program. He people don't realize he was LSU baseball before LSU baseball. I mean, he was winning World Series and and beating LSU like a drum back in the day. And and that's why LSU hired Skip Bertman because they were tired of losing to Ron Maestri. And, without an uh, assistant, and, by the way. And he told some phenomenal stories. He did it without an assistant for a long time. Well, and the other thing he did that that everybody does now too is he went outside the area to get players. You know, he had that that pipeline from Chicago to get guys like Ted Wood and things like that. You know, so for for Mace was really the first guy that really got out of his area and brought players in. And um you know, built a, built a dynasty and his players just absolutely adore him. And he was somebody that my, my five years at UNO, I leaned on a lot. And, uh, and he, people, a lot of people don't realize this, but he saved athletics there. You know, they were going to drop athletics and Mace got involved and, and got that, got that thing turned around the other direction. I asked him the same thing now, and I want to get your take, you know, 2005 Katrina hits, is it similar to COVID differences? I mean, were there some similarities between what you all had to go through back then and and what everybody went through with COVID? Yeah, certainly similarities for sure. You know, just then it's unprecedented, you know what I mean? And there's really no, no blueprint of this is what we should do or or how we should go about it. I mean, the teams, you know, Tulane and, and us and, that were affected by by Katrina um, and having to evacuate our team to New Mexico State. And, you know, we started that fall with 38 players. We, we returned to campus with 30. And by the time the season started, we were down to about 24 players. And it would have been really easy for us to cash it in and not have that season. But to our guys' credit, I mean, we battled. We made the conference tournament. We won 30 games that year, which was the first time in, in you know, 10 years that the program had done that. 
Um, so I, I just give a lot of credit to our guys and that resilience and that toughness and that camaraderie. I was at Giva, Johnny Givatella's wedding a couple of years ago and you know, all those guys were back, man. The bond that that creates is is just incredible. And again, without Ron Maestri, um, you know, and his leadership and Jim Miller, our athletic director, you know, we, we wouldn't have made it through that. And something to be said for, for strength and numbers where maybe having 50 guys on your roster maybe isn't always the way. And you've been at some programs where probably because of cost of school and cost of education don't have huge rosters and you've been at some of the most expensive schools in the country you know but have made it work and have had very competitive teams so just talk a little bit about kind of just balancing out the roster that way where maybe you've got some smaller numbers because of the academic and the financial piece yeah i mean i'm telling our guys all the time he's the last i checked you can still only pitch one guy at a time so <laughs> you know and I, I think sometimes um you know you you get that roster to a point where you know you can't spend the time with your players you need to so you 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 end up what you do is you end up going wide and shallow instead of narrow and deep i'd rather our guys you know let's take the 12 or 14 impact position players we have let's take the 10 11 impact pitchers we have and let's spend the majority of our time um with those guys and you know some when you have a 40-man roster and even last year you know you saw teams with 55 players on their roster it was just crazy I mean I was like you know we had 40 and I felt completely overwhelmed I don't know how you do it with 50 or 55 I mean I, I would quite honestly be perfectly happy with 32 I mean I think if you had the 32 right guys you know, obviously you need to factor in injuries and, and, you know, things like that and, and have some, um, some margin for, for injury. But, you know, other than that, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of keeping rosters relatively small because I'd rather go kind of narrow and deep than, than wide and shallow. You've done such a good job of development over the years. You know, is that, when you get them, I mean, I, I've seen you guys more than anybody the last couple of years because of how close you are. You're 20 minutes from us. So I've been over multiple times. I think you got another one in Brock Wilkin coming down the pike, by the way. But, you know, is that recruiting? Is that development? Is it both? Um, you know, you've done such a good job with, with high-end drafts. Yeah, thanks. I, I Yeah, we have. And, and it first and foremost starts with our coaches. You know, we had – you know, Bill Salento has been here every year I've been here and he's, he's the best at hitting development and, and, uh, and seeing things in some players at a young age that maybe other people don't see. Um, and then we had Matt Hobbs for a good while and, and even Dennis Healy before him and then John Hendricks and now Corey Mascara. So, you know, we've, we've really put the focus on development. I think, you know, again, you know, I think sometimes at other schools, they they recruit a finished product and they don't really need the development. And, and to your point earlier about rosters, you know, if you have a larger roster and you've got three All-Americans at every position on the first day of fall practice, you don't really need to develop because the reality is, you know, the guy that separates himself from those other two guys is going to be really good. You know, for us, you know, because of what you mentioned, our cost of school and academic scholarships, financial aid, all that stuff. You know, we're not going to have three All-Americans at every position. So the guy we recruit and invest money in, he's got to develop and get better. And then the second part of that is, you know, we're we're coaches who came from the north, came from smaller programs. You know, we came from programs like George Washington and Siena and and Maryland, uh, you know, places where you have to develop your guys. You're not getting the, the first choice of recruits. Um, you're getting the next kind of tier of guys. Um, and you've got to project and, 
And that's why we love recruiting two sport athletes, you know, that, that maybe ha haven't had as much baseball experience. That's why we recruit out of the North because sometimes those kids, um, you know, aren't quite as far along as, as maybe their, their Southern uh, compatriots. You know, and part of this, you're here, you know, Kevin Jordan, 2011. And, you know, is there anything to fill in or reflect on over the last 10 years that, that maybe, you know, you have a chance to look back now? Is there anything else to fill in on that situation with Kevin? Um, you know, Kevin and I started a nonprofit together, um, you know, a little over a year ago, which um, I'm just really proud of him and the work he's doing in the community. And um, I'm just so proud of the man he's become. And, and obviously that has nothing to do with him having my kidney. That's just who he is um, in his heart of hearts. And, you know, I feel that way about all our guys. I mean, uh, you know, Kevin is just one of one of dozens of, of guys that I'm super proud of. So my favorite part about this job is just is just watching these young men grow into the men they were destined to be. And, and it's pretty cool to see them go on and have families and, and be successful in life after baseball. I mean, that's the, to me, that's the best part of the job. And, and I love that these guys stay connected and they come back. I mean, I'm, you know, Gavin Sheets and Bruce Steele and Keegan Marimpo and Parker Dunchy and Will Craig. And, you know, those groups of guys, they, they get together every single year. And sometimes they do it in Winston-Salem and sometimes they go to Texas and sometimes they go, you know, but they always get together and they're staying in touch. And I, I think at the end of the day, that's what it's about is just creating that brotherhood and that family environment. Where can people find getting the game? You know, where, where can they go if they're interested in helping out with getting the game? Where can they find it? Yeah, gettingthegame.org is our website. We're on social media, you know, Instagram, Twitter, all those things. G-I-T-G, the number four and change. G-I-T-G for change. Um, so, yeah, check us out on social media and or our website. And um, we're we're doing, as you know, probably we won a Stuart Scott Inspire Award this past summer uh, at this part of the Sports Humanitarian Awards, which was incredible, you know, to be up on stage with somebody like Billy Jean King and, and the amazing work that she does and Joe Torrey and the amazing work that he's doing. And I mean, just to be around incredible people, um, you know, to, to be kind of included in that group is, is certainly humbling and, and we're more honored. Um, and we just recently, um, ESPN slash Disney um, asked us to be part of a kind of an anti-racism, stop bullying, choose kindness, shred hate campaign. Um, so we're part of a consortium of six organizations that Disney um, has asked to be you know, part of this campaign to, to get out there. They love what we're doing in terms of, uh, of our work with these young kids. You know, that was a couple of years ago with everything that was going on. And even what, before that with Kaepernick, um, you know, how are you addressing that with your team with those situations? And, and I think every coach has to deal with that. You have a little bit of a dance to do sometimes because you're gonna have a very diverse roster. How are you approaching all of that with your team? Yeah, I mean, head on, really, you know, I, I think educating and, and having open conversations in a safe place where where nobody's judging, you know, it's one of those things where you've got to give these kids, you know, I, I told our players last year at, in exit meetings, I'm like, look, my job is is to tell you what you need to hear. You've got enough people in your life telling you what you want to hear. You know, you've got your parents, you've got your girlfriend, you've got your teammates, you've got your agent. You know, everybody's telling me what you want to hear. I need to be able to tell you what you need to hear. But what coaches sometimes forget, Brownie, is that it's my job to first earn their trust and their respect so that they can hear that. I've got to open their hearts so they can hear what they need to hear. If I haven't earned their trust and their respect and I tell them what they need to hear, 
they're going to tune me out and and that message is not going to resonate so first of first and foremost you build trust you build respect and then once you've done that and you've opened their heart then you can tell them what they need to hear and, and move on and you know this this race and diversity piece is um you know, again, conversations that we were having 60 years ago, Martin Luther King standing on the steps of the Lincoln, and we're having those same conversations today. And it's, you know, it's time for it to stop. And I think it's our responsibility for all of us to do our to our small part. Have you watched the documentary 1971 on on Apple yet? Apple TV? Incredible. It's unbelievable. You know, anybody listening in that has not watched that, go watch it. You know, and, and yes, we have a long way to go, but things were, were rough, rough back then. I was I knew some of the stories, but it was a great deep dive into a lot of what was going on uh, just in society at that point. I thought it was phenomenal. No, I couldn't agree more. That's that's uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, you talk about, you know, your responsibility to tell them, you know, what they need to hear. You know, I've got I got a chance to watch Cusick throw quite a bit. Talk about his development, because, you know, when I saw him COVID, pre-COVID, I thought, OK, there's a guy with a great arm. But, you know, max effort all over the place. And then I thought he really cleaned up last year and just talk about his development, but also having patience to keep rolling a guy like out like him out there because he just needs he needs reps. But, yep. you know, and how do you balance that patience as a coach where, OK, I, we need to win. But also, I know this guy is going to be unbelievable, but we got to keep rolling him out there. Yeah, that's always the tough thing, because, again, early in his career, you know, his freshman year, you know, he had some ups and downs. And then really his sophomore year at the beginning when when the velocity started to click for him. But, you know, first and foremost, Ryan is such an incredibly dedicated and hardworking young man. I mean, that kid. I tell stories about him all the time. When he was in high school, Matt Hobbs told him he needed to put on weight. So he made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and poured himself a glass of chocolate milk and sat it next to his bed and set his alarm for 3 a.m. every And so woke up at 3 a.m., ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, drank a glass of chocolate milk and went back to sleep. He did it for like a year straight. You know, and that's the kind of commitment that young man has. And John Hendricks um, did an amazing job kind of bringing him along and and working with him, you know, relentlessly and tirelessly. And that's why I love seeing John Hendricks at the draft with Ryan, because that was Ryan's way of just saying, hey, thanks for everything you did for me to help me develop and, and get where I need to be. And and John was incredible. And but, it, you know, at the end of the day, it just boiled down to Ryan's relentless work ethic and, and his just I'm not going to fail attitude. And, you know, he's he's such a mature kid. His, his teammates wanted him to be a captain. So he was a captain for us. And uh, and I just again, I talked to him on the phone yesterday and I've just I'm always just awestruck by his maturity for somebody his age um, to kind of have a, a worldly view and, and, and look at things from a, from, you know, the lens of a 35 year old guy. I mean, I just so impressive. Does pitching lab help with that as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the lab's a game changer, man. I, I you know, it it, it ke- a, it keeps guys healthy. B, it, it helps us identify their movement patterns and what they and how they need to move it, to move efficiently and explosively. So, you know, for Ryan, you know, the work they did in the lab that that, again, you know, a lot of people say they have a pitching lab. But unless you have a scientist, you don't have a lab. 
what you have is a bunch of cameras. And again, I'm not saying that those teams aren't doing a great job uh, with those cameras and what they're doing, but if you don't have the biomechanist, you know, Kristen Nicholson's our biomechanist and we've had all 30 major league teams come through our lab to see what we're doing in there and see what we've built. And the Milwaukee Brewers have basically, you know, copied it inch by inch. Um, and, and there's other teams coming that are doing that, which I love. I mean, let's the more information out that there's, it's better for our game, but Kristen Nicholson, is a rock star and she's the one that looks at these again from a scientist's eye to say because we're sitting here saying oh this is what we see and she's like no but that's not really what's happening here's what's really happening <laughs> you know so and a week again we can sit down in a room with our strength coach and with our trainer and our pitching coach and our pitching lab coordinator and our team doctor and Kristen Nicholson, and we can lay all this information out and come up with a development plan that includes pre-throw, post-throw, includes nutrition, includes weight room time. You know, so again, it's not just a, it's a comprehensive development plan um, that, that filters into everything that that young man does. I was really impressed when I was over there. You know, my first look, I'm walking through the facility. I saw you had uh, supplements laid out and vitamins laid out for, for each player, I mean, talk about that process, because I think the holistic approach to developing people is all of it. Um, your nutritionist set that up for them, for each player individually? Yeah, so each player meets with our nutritionist. We meet with the nutritionist as a group, but also they meet with their nutritionist individually. And again, that plan is coordinated with our strength coach and, and their position coach that they do DEXA scans and those DEXA scans get compared to the major league average at their position. You know, so we know what their their body scan looks like. And so we know what they look like today. We, we know what we want them to look like in three months, six months, 12 months, and in two years. I mean, we, so, I mean, you look at Brock Wilkin today, wait till you see him next time you see him, Brownie, you'll be like, oh my God, his body. I mean, it's just changed. I don't know how it can get much better. I, it's changed looks so like much. Looks like Scott Rowland. Yeah, that was, that's always been my comp on that guy. Looks like that's Scott Rowland. The great call. Um, so, so anyway, um, you know, that nutrition piece, but then we've also added and, and the supplements to your point, you know, those supplements are different for each guy, you know, it, it's like coaching. It's like, you can't coach all your players the same way. You've got to coach them based on how they move and who they are and, and what, you know, what they need. Um, we've added like the whoop straps is another thing. Our guys wear whoop straps religiously, you know, we're tracking their sleep, we're tracking their recovery, you know, we're knowing that tells us what days we can step on the gas and what days we need to back it down a little bit. You know, again, this is a long season and, and baseball is one of those sports where those little aches and pains can, um, can catch up to you if you're not staying on top of that stuff. And, and then the last piece of that is Jeff Strom, our trainer. I mean, Jeff's been here for 20 years uh, plus uh, 22 years now, and, uh, and he's the best in the business. I mean, he keeps our, our guys on the field, but he's also got the respect of the coaches and the people here that when he says to us, hey, he needs a day or he needs a week, then, then we, we listen to that because we know he's been there and done that. How do you have that conversation with your players? You're going to have ultra competitive players. So with the whoop strap and, and hey, you may need to back off a little bit or, hey, maybe you're not pushing yourself enough. Yeah, there's there's guys that, you know, and Brock Wilk is one of those guys where where Coach Salento literally has to say, you're not allowed to come to the field today. You know, <laughs> you know, you're, and Brock's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I'm coming anyway. And, and Billy's like, no, we're going to we're deactivating your card for the day. Uh, so <laughs> so um, and then there's other guys. You're right. We've got to pull them along. And um, and again, that's 
to each his own. Um, but, uh, you know, our guys, one of the things we did right when we got here was we made our facility 24 hour accessible for our guys because we've got the nutrition area set up. We've got the, the cages and the pitching machines and the fungo man, you know, they can get work by themselves. They can get work in small groups. They know how to turn on the lights. You know, they can get into every part of this facility uh, except the weight room. We don't want them in the weight room on their own. Obviously we want them with our strength coach. Um, you know, if they need extra stuff, they, they can get with him um, to get that done. But, um, but point is the, the rest of the facility, we've got balls, you know, in the closet for them um, and they can, they can go hit, you know, whenever. And we, we encourage that and we foster that kind of a environment here. You know, you cut your teeth in the Cape. We just missed each other at Katuit, by the way. I played 96, so you're there, 97, 98. But, um, you know, it's changed so much from then to now from an assistant standpoint. Um, you know, do we miss a little bit of that, too, where coaches don't go out as much in summer ball, especially the Division One level now? Do we miss a little bit of that now, too? Man, I tell you, a hundred percent. Yes. Um, you know, we've got Ty Blankmeyer who we just hired and, and even though he's in charge of our camps, you know, he's going to the Cape this summer and we'll figure camps out because that coaching experience, um, I did it because I was a 27 year old head coach and I needed game experience. And I, and it was incredible for me because what I learned up there is, so first of all, up there is, you know, every game's two, one, three, two, four, three, right? So you just got a million situations every game. It's a tight game. But what you, most importantly, the thing I think I learned the best was how to manage a pitching staff. You know, I think one of the mistakes we see sometimes in college baseball is you want to pitch the same four guys all the time. And I understand why you're trying to win that game, but then you get to the end of the year and you haven't you haven't built any collateral. You don't have any confidence in anybody other than your four guys, right? And I think the one thing that Kate taught me was, you know, getting those guys that consistent work and having a plan of managing that staff and building towards having your best pitching staff at the end of the season. I, I just love that part of the Cape. And, and again, anytime you're getting a deal with future big leaguers and see how they approach things. I mean, I, you know, you get guys who are just, you know, destined to be big leaguers. It's just, it's just fun to coach, you know, that kind of a, a level. And I think it helps your evaluation eye a little bit too. I know we want everybody to get out and recruit, but when you're around guys that are going to be good players and probably playing the big leagues, I think it, it shapes your eye a little bit as far as this is what they're supposed to look like. I got to tell you, I couldn't agree more. If I, if I were a young coach, I would go scout for two years and I coach on the Cape for two years. And then I think you'd be, you'd be so far ahead of the game you know, again, and go to the ABCA convention and learn from the people who are the best in the business, you know what I mean? So get that part of it too. Um, but, you know, dive into the, to the educational piece of learning your craft um, and, and then add the coaching piece and the evaluating piece, as you said. I mean, I, that's, that's time well spent for sure. How do you know when it's time to look for another job? You've had, you've been at great places. You've done a great job everywhere you're at. How do you know, or, or is there even a time to know when to, when to look for another job? Yeah. So at George Washington, um, you know, I was there eight years and I loved it there. And we were, we, you know, we had won 40 games like five years in a row and, you know, we had it rolling along pretty good. The team, the team I left um, was the best team of them all. They ended up winning like 43 games and they were, they were really good, really talented. It's probably the most talented team we had um, the team that I left behind, but um, 
but it was time there because I sat down with our vice president, Bob Chernak, who was a good friend of mine. And we were talking about a field and, you know, he was like, look, we can give you more money. We, cause we only had seven scholarships. We can give you more scholarship money. I'll give you whatever you want. And he goes, but I, I just can't promise you a field. So um, eventually George Washington got their field built and Greg Ritchie's doing an awesome job there. So I'm super proud of what's been built there. And I called all my, my old players that I recruited. And I said, I told you we were getting a field. <laughs> so, so sorry. It was 10 years later. Um, but, but, um, so, you know, for me, it was time because again, you know, I want to coach in Omaha. I mean, that's what I want to do. And that's, that's why I'm in it. And, uh, and, and well, that's my secondary goal. My first goal is to develop young men, um, you know, both personally and academically. And then goal number two is get to Omaha and goal number three is let's get some guys to the big leagues, um, you know, kind of in, in that order. But, um, but point is for me, it was time at GW when there was, you know, the program had kind of reached its peak. I mean, it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to get any better. And then New Orleans, you know, quite honestly, Brownie, I mean, I, I love New Orleans and I could have stayed there forever. And I felt like we could go to Omaha there. And then when Katrina hit and the, the, the student body went from 18,000 to eight, you know, when you're at a state school and budgets are tied directly to enrollment, you know, and then they dropped, they dropped athletics for a, for a hot minute and guys were transferring. And it was like one of those things where it just kind of forced my hand. I mean, I, I, it, had it not been for Hurricane Katrina, I mean, there's a real chance I'd still be at New Orleans. Um, and, and again, nothing against Wake Forest, but, um, and then the Wake Forest job came open, you know, when, when I was, when I needed to get out of New Orleans because of the uncertainty. And, and again, thanks to Mace that got turned around two years later, um, you know, but, and they're, they're stable now and in great shape and Blake Dean and the Southland, I mean, they're in a great spot now and their facility, you know, is, is top notch. Um, and I love that program and, and I just root for them all the time. But, you know, for me in the post Katrina world, uh, when, when there was just so much uncertainty, whether baseball was going to continue, um, you know, I had to look for a job and the only two jobs that were open that summer were Maryland and, and wake, you know, really, um, and thankfully, I, I got the wake job. And Ron Wellman, you know, is just, you know, a friend, a mentor, you know, somebody I, I trust and respect, you know, as former baseball coach. And, uh, you know, I was I just feel really blessed. And then Mike Buddy was the associate AD. Mike's the, the athletic director at West Point now. So to have those two guys, um, you know, at the top of the athletic department, guys who are invested in baseball and, and are just great men and people to learn from, you know, was an opportunity I just couldn't couldn't pass up. Um, and then here, you know, quite honestly, I, I love it here. I mean, I, I could, you know, I could see myself not going anywhere else. I, I haven't really looked at anything else. It's nothing's been on my radar screen. I, I love it here and I'll, I'll be here. I see myself being here as long as they want me, you know, we've built an incredible facility here. Our player development center is second to none. I'm proud of the young men we're turning out of here and, and while we didn't have the year we wanted to have last year, you know, uh, it's not for lack of a talent. You know, we had some injuries and some COVID and some other things like everybody else and, you know, didn't have a great year last year. But, you know, year in, year out, we're right there. How do you balance that? You know, you know, you're one every program is one or two injuries away from not underachieving, but not getting the results that you want. So how, how do you balance that? Because, you know, it's not you'd like to think you're going to be able to keep everybody healthy, but that's not the case. So how do you balance that in season when, Hey, I know we're, we're down a little bit here and just to keep plugging along. 
Well, I think that's where you have to rest some guys along the way. I think that's the other thing you learn about the Cape, right, is, is finding some time during the season. You know, I, we all know injuries come at fatigue. I mean, I don't whether you're talking about arm injuries or hamstrings or quads or calves or whatever it is, tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, all that stuff happens, you know, really at fatigue, gets magnified at fatigue. So keeping our guys fresh, you know, that's why the rest, the tracking and the whoop and the nutrition is so important. I tell our guys all the time, you can't out-train nutrition, you know, so putting the right things in these guys and, and getting them to understand how important rest is. And, and then us doing our point, our part to take stress off them, you know, we'll have, we'll try to have a shorts and t-shirts practice once a week, um, you know, just where the guys can, you know, it's where it's again, not always foot on the gas. And then other days, you know, it's one of the things we did this year that I've loved is we start every practice in the team meeting room, which has really made a big difference. So we'll, we'll talk about, we'll show the practice plan. We'll talk about what we're trying to get out of practice. And then we'll show a little kind of short five minute motivational video and just have a kind of a message of the day. And it's really made a huge impact. You know, that 20 minutes we spend at the front has really galvanized our team and, and, and made our practices much more intentional and, and focused. Um, so I've loved um, the culture we're building this year. I love our new staff with Ty Blankmeyer and Corey Mascara and Mike McFerrin, our pitching lab coordinator, Mickey Bassett, our ops guy. I mean, we just got Tony Joyce, our equipment guy. I mean, we just got an unbelievable staff of people. I mentioned Seaver and Strom already. You know, we're talking about our nutritionist, Tiffany, and then Kristen Nicholson, you know, we're talking about, we got a team of like 11 or 12 people here that for a 35 man roster that, you know, that just dedicated to just helping these guys be the best versions of themselves, um, which is incredible. You're in a really high academic school that, that 20 minutes probably allows them to decompress what's going on in the real world and with class to get ready to now be a baseball player. Correct. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I never really thought of it that way, quite honestly, but you're right. I mean, they can grab a snack out of the nutrition area, you know, I mean, grab a glass of chocolate milk and sit up there and, and kind of just take a deep breath and say, okay, let's get focused on baseball. I mean, we, we say it all the time, you know, leave your, leave your personal life, leave your, your academic life, leave your cell phone in your locker. And when you, when you step through that door, it's, it's, you know, it's go time. And, uh, and you're right. I think that that 20 minutes is a good segue to that. That's a great point. Gary Gilmore was on with me. Um, I'm always fascinated by the coaches that, that coach third or manage from the dugout. And, you know, just talk about that piece for coaches listening in, um, you know, still staying at third base and running the game from third base as opposed to the dugout. Yeah, so this will be the first year that I'm going to do it from the dugout. I'm going to let Bill Salento do it, um, and and I'll, I'll kind of give you my reasons for that. One, obviously, I trust Billy, but two, uh, you know, historically, I, I like being in the flow of the game, um, and I like, um, you know, kind of them when they're in the box looking down at me and, and trying to help them kind of generate that compete gene. Um, you know, and the other part to it was when they fail, you know, I felt like it was easier for them to come back to Billy than come back to me. Um, you know, when they have that bad at bat in that big situation or, or whatever, you know, I think that's hard to come back to your head coach in that situation. When you, when you feel like you've let the team down, even though we know that that happens, you know what I mean? You're only well, the man on third and less than two outs. If you succeed 65% of the time, you're doing a pretty good job. It still um, stinks so though. When you it, leave, it hurts. It stinks. And, and that's the crazy thing with baseball is like that 65, 70 is unbelievable, but you're going to get punched in the mouth a couple times too to get to get to that 
No doubt, no doubt. And and what they what hopefully they realize is on the other side of that comes some two out RBIs, right? Where, you know, you even out the year Bobby Seymour had where he was the, the player of the year. I tell this stat all the time. You know, when he had 92 RBIs in 2019 and was the ACC player of the year, he had 48 RBIs with two outs. I mean, think about that. I mean, there people have good seasons and don't have 48 RBIs on the year. And he had 48 with two outs. So anyway, back to your point, you know, I, I used to love being in the flow of the game and and um, and and coaching from third. I know Coach Corbin does it and Gilly does it. I mean, you know, you talk about two of the best in the game. Um, so you, you certainly can't find fault in anything those two guys do. Um, and I love doing it. But at the same time, you know, I felt like the last couple of years, I got a little too conservative, quite honestly. I felt like I didn't run as much as we had in the past and and maybe we're just dependent a little bit too much on the home run. And I think putting Billy out there, we've already seen it this fall. He's he's been more active on the bases with hit and runs. And, and sometimes the it's easier for the assistant coach to take gambles than it is the head coach. So, uh, <laughs> and they you know, see the game talking. differently. You know, as you get older, you see it differently. And I did both. I, I felt like the dugout was easier to tell players maybe a guy's going to pinch hit here and there. That's where I felt like managing from the dugout yep. was a little easier to, to where you're not screaming in the dugout for a guy to, to maybe, hey, you're going to be up here three or four batters from now. That was the only difference. I And I was like you. I liked being at third. I felt like you could steal more, you know, if you're going to have a guy steal home or or just all the, the things that you can implement. But just from a management standpoint, felt like being in the dugout was way easier. So guys weren't scrambling if you're going to pinch hit or pinch run somebody. Yeah, I agree with that. I can I can remember three or four times over the last four or five years where I've been a batter later than I should have been or two, or especially for a pinch runner. Um, you know, again, um, you know, as Billy and I have gotten to know each other, he was really good on being ready for that stuff. But um, but you're right. Um, you know, I think there are things that or when an inning blows up on you and you don't have a pitcher ready, you know what I mean? Things like that, um, you know, so. I do think it's easier in the dugout. And, and the other part is I think I can help in the dugout too, is just helping guys um, reset and get ready for their at-bat. You know what I mean? And, and have them, you know, have a plan of how they're going to get pitched in this at-bat. Cause it's a, you know, there's so much information out there. It's really harder on these hitters than ever before. Um, you know, it's, but it's sometimes easier too, because they know what the pitchers like to do. But the flip side of that is that these guys calling the games know what the hitters like to do. So, you know, again, it's that cat and mouse game and, and some of the best pitch calling guys in our league are guys like Roger Williams and JD Artiega. I mean, those guys do a really good job of keeping you off balance and not getting into patterns and routines and, and pitching. They, they, those two think a little differently than everybody else. Um, and, and you've got to prepare your hitters for that. Quick break for another one of our sponsors, Mark Pro. That is M-A-R-C Pro. Personally, I used it as a coach for my ragged out BP arm and legs after a tough workout. We saw huge benefits with our pitchers and position players in decreased soreness and recovery time. It's an amazing machine that speeds up the recovery process by getting blood flow back to the areas that need it. It's durable and cost effective. The Mark Pro needs to be a tool in your peak performance toolkit. I can't recommend it enough. Hit me up if you have any questions. Order now on markpro.com and use the promo code ABCA to get 10% off. Now back to the podcast. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, uh, but looking back now was one of the best things that happened to you? Yeah, I mean, Hurricane Katrina um, is definitely on that list. I mean, I you know, 
it got to the point where, you know, my, my wife and kids had moved to Michigan to move in with her parents. And, um, and I, and, uh, and she wasn't wanting to move back to New Orleans and I wanted to continue like coaching in New Orleans. So I actually interviewed for two associate athletic director jobs, uh, one at George Washington and one at Catholic university in Washington got offered both positions and, and, and almost accepted one of them. And, uh, and, and really, um, I'll give, I'll give Kirsten a lot of credit because she was the one that said, no, you love coaching. You should stay in coaching. And it was hard because my kids, I was, I was apart from my kids for a couple of years there. And, and, um, it's, um, it certainly wasn't easy. So, um, it was, it, it made it, it was a tough, and my kids were young my Chase was in kindergarten and, and Casey was, you know, three years old. And um, so it was a it was a tough stretch. I mean, that time to be apart from my kids and, and um, you know, the stress that puts on a marriage. And, and um, so. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would have to say Hurricane Katrina, but it's like, you know, one of those things where, you know, when I was in Washington, D.C., we had 9-11 and we had the D.C. sniper and some things happened there. And and as as I know, you've told your players all the time, it's life's not what happens to you; it's how you respond. Um, and and uh, you just find those were two big ones for me that stuck out was nine eleven, being at JMU, and then the sniper. You know, no nobody talk. Everybody talks about nine eleven, which they should, but nobody talks about the sniper. That was closer to us. You know, nine eleven was like so surreal. It was like, is this actually happening? But then you're having people getting picked off filling their cars up in gas. And that's the area that you would recruit the loop that, you know, the I-95 loop there, people are getting picked off left and right. And you're like, I don't even know if I should go on the road and watch a high school game because I might get shot filling my car up. It it was, I, I remember seeing people, you know, pumping their gas, like duck down under and they would hold the thing up like this. I remember one Saturday afternoon, walking through my neighborhood I was pushing Casey in the stroller and Chase was on his bike and we lived in one of those neighborhoods that had cul-de-sacs and there were basketball hoops in every yard and people were out you know on a on a a beautiful Saturday there'd be people cutting grass and in their yard and you'd see a ton of activity and I'm walking out in the middle of the afternoon on one of those days and I didn't see another person and I'm thinking and all of a sudden I found myself get really scared and I'm looking on rooftops of houses expecting to see some guy with a rifle. And, you know, you, people don't realize how, you know, you do because you lived it. But if you weren't in that area at the time, how paralyzing that really was. I mean, it paralyzed the whole community. Um, and it was it was incredible. I just can't even. I remember uh, Kirsten looking out the front window through the curtains and see, looking for white vans. It's like there's a, our neighbor across the street has a white van. And it's like, I'm like I, you know, we know our neighbor. <laughs> our neighbor's not the DC's neighbor. <laughs> but um, but it was just crazy. I, I mean, you're right. I mean, uh, you know, 9/11 and. We had one of our alums, Bill Collins, um, you know, who was who was kind of the GW was really the backbone of the GW program, and and Bill was supposed to be on that flight that crashed into the Pentagon, and, and he his best friend was on that flight. Um, they were they were headed to a business meeting in San Francisco, and um, Bill, you know, got called to another meeting and had to take a later flight, and, um, and you know, and you just you know, we all have those stories of, of how that touched us in, in different ways, um, either directly or, or, you know, second or third hand. So um, just, you know, certainly incredible times that, um, that again, you know, the flip side of that, and I, we just had a long talk with our team about 9-11, 
Um, and we did a, a walk to remember, you know, we walked 2000 flights of stairs at the football stadium with our team to, you know, cause our guys, you know, one of the things we as coaches don't realize is our guys were barely born when nine 11 happened, right? Those guys don't, they don't, they have no context of what nine 11, like to them, nine 11 is the same as world war two or world war one. I. I mean, you know, it's history and, um, but they didn't live it. And so I, I felt it was really important to educate our guys on that and, and talk a lot about, you know, what that meant to our country and, and how that galvanized our country, you know, the, the level of patriotism and the respect and the, and the care for our police and our firemen and our first responders and our hospital workers. I mean, EMTs, I mean, all that stuff just shot through the roof after 9-11. So in the midst of all that tra tragedy and the, and the loss of life was, was also a, a, a stronger, more galvanized nation. So, um, <clears throat> you know, again, you know, it's, it's all about how you respond. How important is your significant other on your path, your, your, your journey through all of it, this? It's all of it. I mean, it really is. I mean, I, I tell recruits every, every day I tell recruits um, that we, that I talk to recruit them, two most important decisions in your life, where you're to go to college, who you marry, okay. you know, and that significant other, she, he needs to be bought in and, and um, or he, you know, for, for our female coaches or, or, you know, those who have other preferences, um, you know, they need to be bought in on that journey. You know, they need to be something that they, um, they, they want to live it, you know, Bill Salento and his wife, Jen and Corey and his wife, Susie. I mean, I, I, they, I tell our guys all the time, they're lucky to have them as role models for what a, a, a husband and a father look like you know, that are just dedicated. Their kids are over here at the facility all the time. They're involved in the program. You know, Coach Stalento's girls come Valentine's Day. They're handing out candy bags. They're at the bus handing out back. You know what I mean? They're just, they're involved in the team. They know the players. The The girls grew up memorizing the walk-up songs of the guys. And I taught my son math using our players. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, what's Johnny G. Vitello plus Joey Butler minus Ryan O'Shea? You know, it was like, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, and, and if you have a family that, that gets their arms around that and invests in that, it's the greatest job there is. But if you don't, it's really hard. Yeah, it's tough. And that that's where you see coaches get out of it be, because of that. It's just, it's so hard. And it makes a, a huge difference from a quality of life because you are going to be gone and, and your partner has to be able to trust that that you're in it for the right reasons and your path's in it for the right reasons. But, um, you know, there's been so many positives and negatives. You see the relationships all the time with, with guys or, or women where it doesn't work out and it's tough on them. And I was going to say the last part I'll add to that is it's hard because for us, it's a 24 hour job. Like there's no, there's no, I'm off. There's no, there's no, there's no, yeah. Off. I'm, I'm taking calls from parents. I'm talking to a recruit. I'm responding to text messages. And in a lot of people's professions, right, their day ends when they close their office door, right? There's no, like if the, the nine to five, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's what you, it's the path you choose, but, but they don't understand why at eight o'clock or nine o'clock or 10 o'clock, you're still doing work stuff because their, their day ended at five Oh five, and they haven't thought about work since, and they won't think about it again until the next morning. So that's a really hard balance. Um, but for again, the guys that are, for the coaches that are wired that way, it's perfect. Like I, I, I loved every minute of it. It's not for everybody. And that's why I try to tell young coaches, I'm like, it, you have to know what you're signing up for because this is what it is. It, you know, it takes what it takes. It takes being wired 24 hours to do this job well, because if you don't, you're not going to, you're not going to do the job well. Well, and I, and I think you need to you need to take some time where you do put it away, 
right? My daughter, you know, she was probably six years old, right? And once a week, she would call it no phone, you know, no phone day. And she drew all these signs at school that a picture of a cell phone with a big X through it. And I didn't know what day of the week it was going to be. She got one day a week. And when I came home, she would have them like the, the, the things taped up all over the house. And she would be waiting for me at the door. She'd be looking through the thing and I would come in. And she'd be like, it's no phone day. She'd be like, give me. And she would get to go hide my phone. So that was her our little game we played. And she would get to go hide my phone. And then when she went to bed, she would give it back to me. And, uh, and sometimes she forgot where she hit it. And, <laughs> and, but it was like one of the, it was like our thing, you know what I mean? And she loved it and I loved it. And it was just a way, you know, and I would, I would recommend that to all coaches, you know, when, when, even to this day, whenever I go out to dinner with somebody, I leave my phone in the car, you know what I mean? Because I don't want to be that guy that's has that out on the table and I'm distracted and I'm checking it every two seconds. I want to be locked in on that moment. And again, yeah you know, we can't do that most of the time, but let's, let's find three or four opportunities every week where we can put the phone away and, and just be totally invested and engaged in that moment. Yeah. My wife, she signed my daughter and I, Nora, up. Uh, two years. We did it uh, on Mondays. Amy's like, I know you're off days on Monday. So we did a, a daddy daughter dance class at the, you know, through the university of Iowa. It was awesome. Like just being there on Monday afternoons with her and go do that, that parent child dance class. It was tremendous. It was something that I, I still think about all the time because it was a nice break. Um, and I, I think you have to do that, but talk about from a discipline standpoint, like leaving your phone. I think that's where people get sidetracked, where they feel like they have a lot of willpower. People don't really have willpower. So if you don't want to be on your phone, just leave it somewhere. Um, do you have any other hacks like that from a discipline standpoint? Um, you know, I, I think that's the only one. I mean, I, 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 I budget some time every day to read. Um, you know, whether it's something for fun or it's a podcast or it's something, you know, I, I try to find an hour every day, um, to, you know, and it's usually right before bed, but if I didn't get it done the night before, then I'll do it first thing in the morning. You know, I think that's an important part, um, you know, of just learning and, and growing. Um, you know, those are the, to me, those are the, the two big ones is just find times during the week where you're going to, you're, you're, you're going to have your phone powered off or, or away from you. Because you're right, because you're at that dinner. And even if your phone's away, it's like the, the person goes to the bathroom and then all of a sudden you're, you know, and then, then, then your mind gets rolling. And it's like, to me, it's better just to leave it in the car, in the, in the glove compartment and, and, you know, worry about it when, when dinner's over. What does it and mean? You, you Go ahead. be surprised how impressed people are by that. Like they, like invariably people will comment on, on that. Like, Hey, you didn't check your phone one time. And I'm just like, well, I left it in the car. And they're like, really? <laughs> that's why we went we did away with cell phones for team meetings and and meals uh just to get them to interact with each other and be mindful of what's going on i, I felt like it translated onto the field for them because if not again it's hard to turn it off if you don't put it away and so that was one of the better things we did was no cell phones at meals yep i love it i love it what does it mean to get the Dave Kylitz Ethics Award? Oh, man. I mean, Dave Kylitz is the father of college baseball. I mean, he he's the one that brought the ABC to life, the ABCA to life. And, and, and I'm just so thrilled that his son, Craig, has, has kind of taken over the reins. So to me, the, the Kylitz name is synonymous with ethics and, and putting the game first. You know, I mean, 
to me, when you start to talk about ethics, you know, it's about putting others before yourself. It's about having a standard of excellence that's non-negotiable. It's having, you know, things that you hold on to that you that you'll never waver on for any reason. And and Dave obviously set the bar for that. And and now Craig is is following his footsteps. And you know, the organization that they've built, um, you know, is incredible. That they they have the staff they have now with folks like you and Mike Odom and. Um, I don't know how many people you have working over there now. But there's it's, eight of us. Yeah, I think I mean, people it, are floored when they're like, I'm like, there's only eight of us in this office. <laughs> but it's still impressive. I mean, it's still impressive to have that kind of reach and make that kind of impact, um, you know, and and I don't know how many people you're getting at the convention now, 3,000 or whatever it is. It's like, you know, it's, it's incredible um, what's been built. And I just love you know, you see the changes our games made too. And, and it's incredible. I know we, we've fallen short on a couple of things like the third assistant and scholarship money, but, you know, I think sometimes we just grab on the things that didn't happen and we forget about all that, you know, the, the changing to the regional and super regional format was a huge win for our game. You know, our, our calendar keeps getting better and better. We just got two fall games, you know, we're, we've got the red shirt thing on the table. I mean, it seems like every year, um, we're getting one or two things that just advances our game and, and keeps, keeps it moving forward, which I, which I love. And you see, you know, again, how TV has impacted our game. I mean, and that's all because of Dave Collins. I mean, that all started with him. Yeah. Hopefully some small wins and then you build up some of those smaller wins, you know, roster stuff, maybe the, the red shirt piece, and then maybe that allows you to maybe hit some bigger wins here down the road, but just get a couple small wins put away here and then maybe it builds up I still think the the three game series to start the regional round for me is another one that I think would help um get some more home games during the regionals where maybe some ADs out there see some more home games I know Mike Rooney's talked about that a lot I think that's another low-hanging fruit piece that maybe we can get implemented that's going to help the game overall yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I you know, I, I know it's hard. Right. And I was I've been on both sides. Of it, right. I've been at George Washington and, and I've been at, at, at Wake Forest. So I've been, you know, on both sides of that equation. And I know when you're George Washington, you know, you, you don't feel like you're going to get that home series. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you're George Washington, you're like, well, then I still want to need to win two games. You know what I mean? And I and, and it doesn't matter who you are. You have enough pitching for 18 innings. Oh, and by <laughs> the know, way, so. if you guys make the regionals last year, you go into a best two out of three. I'm I'm going to take your staff of what you had and your players, and you got a chance. Like People are like, well, they got no shot. I'm like, I don't know. There's some sneaky good programs out there that have two really good arms that could win two games in a row against anybody. No, no doubt about it. And one of the other things that's happened right now that you see more turf fields, it's like, you know, defense is easier to play, um, you know, so that that factors in as well. Fielding percentages go up and that helps the underdog. So there's a lot of things out there that that help kind of, um, you know, it, it used to be right when you go in and play LSU at the box and then they're scoring 12, 14 runs a game. You had no chance. I mean, you're not you're just not going to you just can't do it. You know, you, you might be up six runs and you don't feel good. Um, but now the game is 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 different with the bats and the fields and and as good as people are. So in the technology. So, um, you know, to me, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, anything we can do. Um, you know, to give more teams feel like they have a chance. I mean, I still think, you know, again, I don't want to get off on this tangent, but 
I still think our best thing is to have one A and one double A baseball. I mean, I, I've said I say it for that. a long time. I've been, yeah. you know, I've been at bigger schools. I've been at a one A 1A football school. I think it, I think it's the right model. Hopefully we're, you know, when they come out with rewriting the bylaws, um, and people will probably run me through the coals for saying that. I think it gives another, I think it gives a, a whole nother group of teams out there that are really good programs year in and year out and a realistic opportunity to win a national championship. I do too. And, and it keeps, it keeps those teams. I mean, again, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing worse than having three weekends to go with nothing to play for. Right. I mean, nobody likes that. It's not good for the team you're playing against. It's not good for your club. You know, we, again, we've been on both sides of that. And, um, you know, for me, if we can keep these teams, you know, having something to play for as long as possible, that's a win. Yep. What are some final thoughts or maybe um, some shout outs or people you didn't thank yet that you want to thank? Well, my college baseball coach, Coach Jaroshadi, um, he's a Hall of Famer. He, he passed away, and um, I, you know I'd be remiss in not in mentioning the impact he's made on me. You know the ads along the way: Jack Advance at at George Washington, Jim Miller at UNO, Ron Wellman, and now John Curry at Wake Forest, um, Mike Buddy, the associate ad. I mean, those guys have just had such a tremendous impact on my life. The assistants along the way: Dennis Healy and Bill Salento, and. Joe Rakuya back in the day and Terry Rooney back in the day, um, you know, now Corey Mascara, Matt Hobbs. I mean, I just so fortunate to have been able to work with some unbelievable people. I mean, again, you don't, you don't get to be in this profession this long without surrounding yourself with incredible people. And, and um, you know, Bill Salento leads the way. I mean, he's, he's um, you know, one of my best friends in the world and somebody I just couldn't respect and, or trust more. I knew I was going to see him once a year. I'd see him at winter camp in Chicago. So I was, I would always get excited because I knew I was going to see Bill in, in Chicago at some point. So I love, He's the best. love it. So, well, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. It's always great to talk to you. You too, Brownie. We'll see you soon. Congrats again to Coach Walter on winning this year's Dave Kylitz Ethics and Coaching Award. Much deserved honor for everything he's doing for society as a whole. This episode is a great reminder to never forget where you came from. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram, RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. <laughs>